We're going to spend some time looking at the Scriptures together now. We gather every week around the Scriptures. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus Himself. And so we make it a habit of studying the Bible uh, week after week. We're starting a new series this morning. It's going to be a short four-week series in the book of Jude. So it's a very short New Testament letter to the very end of the Bible. We're calling this series, Contend for the Faith. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Jude. What you can do is just flip all the way to the end of the Bible to Revelation and back up. It's the the last letter right before the book of Revelation. One thing that's kind of confusing if you're looking at a paper Bible versus looking at a, a phone or an iPad is typically in the paper Bibles, there's no chapter. It's so short. You've just got verses. It just has the verses, that's it, no chapters. But if you're in a digital Bible like a phone or an app like that, usually it just says chapter one and then the verses. So sometimes that's confusing when you're switching back and forth. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Jude. The theme is contend for the faith. And contend means literally to struggle or strive or to fight. It's a word in Greek, uh, it's agonizomai. So we have the English word agony. Um, But in the Greek, it means either particularly a military fight, you know, fighting someone, life or death, or it can also mean an athletic struggle. And so that word is used repeatedly in the New Testament to talk about the struggle for faith that we are engaged in. We fight and struggle to trust in Jesus, to purify ourselves and obey him, to serve others in love. And we have to recognize that that stands in stark contrast to the kind of contending and fighting that's going on all the time in our culture. We live in a very contentious culture. We live in a conflict-ridden culture. And so what we're going to learn as we study this in the book of Jude is the different kind of fighting, the different kind of struggling that we're called to. It's not like the struggles and the conflicts and the fights of the world. It's a different sort of thing. Um, Whenever I hear this word contend or contender, I think of a famous line from a movie. Um, You might recognize the line. It's a line that a boxer speaks in a movie that came out in the 50s. And this guy was down on himself and he says this. He says, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. This line was spoken by Terry Malloy. He's played by uh, Marlon Brando. He won a lot of Academy Awards, so if you're an old-time movie buff, you may be familiar with the movie. But the idea is that he'd gotten himself into trouble. He'd made compromises with criminal underworld. He'd done things that he regretted, and he had just made himself more of a bum. He believed that his identity was an identity of brokenness, an identity of condemnation. And some of us this morning may have that same identity. And so what Jude is going to do for us, as Jude is going to teach us about how to contend for the faith, is he's going to start with identity. Before he takes us to how to fight and what's really worth fighting for, he's going to start with identity. So many of you, like me, may struggle with voices of condemnation, all the different voices in our head, voices in the culture telling us how we've messed things up. Jude's going to start with the voice of the Lord speaking to us, the true identity that we have in Jesus. He's going to start there, and that's going to make all the difference in how we're going to wrestle and struggle in this world. So let's read from Jude, just verse 1 and 2. This is the introduction to the letter. follows a very similar pattern that most New Testament letters follow, and that pattern is introducing the writer of the letter and then introducing who the letter is being written to. So Jude, verse 1 and 2. 
It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Very short, very simple, but it's where we have to start. We have to start with our identity. We have to start with recognizing who we are. Let me pray and ask the Spirit to help us to hear these words, to believe them, to operate out of this new identity we have. Let's, let's pray. God, we pray for your help. We pray that your Spirit would meet us here, that this would be a supernatural engagement with your Word and with you as a person who loves us. We pray that you would teach us, you would open our eyes, you would guide us and strengthen us, help us to know our true identity in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look through just these two short verses, we'll see three ideas about our identity, three lenses to look at the identity that we're supposed to start with. The first is a servant identity. We see that in the introduction of Jude. Jude refers to himself as a servant. The second thing we'll see is we have an embraced identity. We have an embraced identity. We, we belong to God the Father. He embraces us in love. And then the third thing we'll learn about our identity is that we have a growing identity. He uses the word multiply. It's a growing identity. It's not stagnant, but we keep growing. We keep learning. We keep being conformed to the image of Jesus. So first off, a servant identity. We see this in the beginning of verse 1. We're told who this letter is from. It's from Jude. Jude, which is actually a very common name. Not a lot of people these days are named Jude. There's a famous song from the 60s, Hey Jude, but you don't hear it a lot in our culture. But it was a very common name in the Jewish world. It's from the tribe of Judah. So he was one of the important tribe leaders, Judah. The kings came from that tribe. King David came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, came from the tribe of Judah. So there were a lot of little boys in the Jewish first century world named Jude, Judah, or Judas. We also have to clarify that in Greek, it's all the same name. So in our Bibles, just to kind of, the English translators do this for us just so we don't get mixed up. We've got Judas, who's famous for betraying Jesus. And we've got Jude, this guy, different guy. It's the same name in Greek, right? Like I go by Dave. My real name is David. You might call me Davey. It's all the same name, right? Same thing with Jude. You got Jude, Judas, Judah, kind of depending on the language and the region. So we just say Jude here to make sure we understand this is not the same apostle, early disciple that betrayed Jesus. This is a different guy. He goes on to tell us who he is. He says he's a servant of Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing that Jude wants us to know about him, and this is what I think we can apply. Jude, an apostle, a writer of the Bible, sees himself as a servant and a slave of Jesus. He sees Jesus as his master, and that is something for us to act out in our own lives as well. Even though we see from context and from tradition that most likely this is Jude, the physical brother of Jesus. We have some cross-references. Mark 6.3 says that, um, Mark 6.3, I'll just quote it. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So we know in Mark 6 that Jesus had these brothers and sisters, James and Judas being one of them. And in Galatians 1.19, Paul says, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So the James that wrote the New Testament letter of, of James is the Lord's brother. Judas here is going to go on and say, he's a servant of Jesus Christ and a 
brother of James. So we kind of put together all these different verses and also just things we've learned from tradition that make sense that that's who this guy is. He's physically the brother, half-brother of Jesus, right? Half-brother. And he is also the brother of James, another half-brother of Jesus. And so if you were Jesus's brother, you'd probably lead with that, right? Like people are like, hey, what's your name? I'm the brother of Jesus. Like you would just want to say that real fast, wouldn't you? Um, But that's not how he speaks about himself. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. There's a couple of words in the New Testament. One is general servant word. Another one that's a little stricter. It's usually translated bond servant or slave. This is that stricter word. It's a little more of an absolute obedience. Jesus is my master. He doesn't pull the brother card and say, I, I have special authority because I'm his brother. I get to do whatever I want. No, he's like, I'm, I'm a servant. I'm bound to him. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. This is something for us to live out as well. And Jesus repeatedly taught us that if we want to be a leader, we actually should be a servant. You see this throughout the New Testament. Peter, when he's writing instructions to other elders, he doesn't say, you know, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, I'm really important. You know, and I had all this history with Jesus. He says, I'm a, I'm a fellow elder and we should be humble and we should serve others. Peter makes the same kind of appeal. And this is the appeal that Jude says. We've got to start with the right identity and it starts with recognizing that we're servants of Jesus. He's given us a mission while we're here on earth. We're not here to find our best life now. We're here to serve Jesus, to love him. Here's the crazy thing. We actually find our best life as we give up our life. So as we pursue him and serving him, that's how we actually find the life, right? Jesus says repeatedly, as you, as you lose your life, then you'll find it. And this is what Jude has learned and what Jude is passing on to us, those other followers of Christ. Now, the example that Jesus gave, we read for our story time for the kids in John 13, right? It's the last thing he does before he goes to the cross. So before the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus makes, dying on the cross for our sins, giving us life through his death and resurrection, the last physical act that he teaches his apostles, his disciples with is washing their feet. Now that was, uh, had very different meaning in the first century because it was like a daily need, right? We don't have the same hygiene needs. We have indoor plumbing. We don't have dirt sidewalks. Usually, you know, we, we don't need that as much. So I was trying to think of what would be an equivalent in today's culture of just a an essential job that needs to be done, but it's kind of a grimy job. And I I grabbed a picture of people picking up trash. Um, You might have other ideas that you think of, um, but Jesus is saying, do the dirty, menial job that needs to be done. Serve other people. Some people still do foot washing as a symbolic act, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but I think there's a greater significance that Jesus was calling us to just serve in whatever way that people need to be served. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? The New Testament talks a lot about using our gifts. You know, we're all unique, and I believe that. There are long lists where we're shown, you know, the different gifts that we have, and we're called to use our gifts and develop our gifts. They're a stewardship we've been given. Yes, use your gifts for the glory of God. You're all made differently. God has uniquely wired each of us to use our gifts to serve others. Yes, do that. But there's another side to this where sometimes there's just stuff that needs to be done. And we're not even very good at it, but we have to be willing to get on our hands and knees and serve the way that Jesus served us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to follow in his footsteps and we're going to serve 
others. Christians are to be marked by humility, by a willingness to just do whatever needs to be done. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We don't wave some greater apostolic identity and authority around. We just say, you know what? I'm a servant. You're a servant. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We serve others. Pray that God would give you those eyes to see the things that just need to be done. Say, God, just show me. Help me to meet those needs. Help me to get down on my hands and knees and serve others in whatever way they need to be served. One of my favorite ways that our gifts are talked about in the New Testament is in 1 Peter. Um, Paul gives a lot of long lists, you know, we're, we're one body with many parts. We all have diverse gifts. That's true. Um, Peter's a little more simple-minded, which I think is why I like Peter. Peter says there's just kind of two categories of gifts, right? Just two main categories of serving others. He says it this way in 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So again, Whatever gift you have, if you're good at this, use it to serve people. If you're good at that, use it to serve people. Whatever it may be, you serve people in love, glorifying God. Peter says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, right? We're stewards. That means we don't own it, but we're taking care of it. We're managing Jesus' resources that he's given to us. You only have, you know, 50 more years or 60 more years or whatever it is you've got. Be a good steward of the time and the resources God has given you. He's given you grace. Dispense that for His glory. He goes on and he says, whoever speaks, speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. If you speak, don't speak your words. Speak God's words. Of course, this is important to me. I'm a speaker, right? I've got to make sure. I'm not, I'm not speaking my hobby horse. I'm speaking what Jesus has said. And then he goes on and he says, whoever serves serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through, through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. He kind of breaks it into two categories, speaking gifts, doing gifts. Whatever your gifts are, there's the danger that you would think it's your thing, right? There's the danger if you're a speaker that you'd start thinking you have something to say. But you've got to always speak God's words. And there's a danger if you're really good at getting things done that you start thinking, I'm really good at getting things done. But he says, no, you do things with the strength that God gives you. We're stewards of his grace. We're servants of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would show you ways that you could use your unique gifts to serve others for his glory, but also that you could just meet whatever need is in front of you. Say, God, just show me. There's, there's going to be needs. I'm going to cross the street and see somebody that needs help. Help me to just be that person that's a servant of Jesus for his glory. The second thing that we see is we have an embraced identity. So we have a servant identity. We also have an embraced identity. And this is the summary word I'm using for a triplet of descriptions that Jude gives. Jude likes triplets, triads. He likes to say things in threes. So we'll see this as we move through the book over the next several weeks. Here in the second half of verse 1, if you look at just the second half of verse 1, it says, to those who are the called... Loved by God the Father or beloved by God the Father, depending on your translation, and kept for Jesus Christ. So who are we? What's our identity? Our identity is we're called by God, we're beloved by the Father, and we're kept for Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's, that's a beautiful embraced identity. I grabbed a picture of a father embracing a son. 
That's the picture that this brings to my own mind as I see that God has called me into his family. God has loved me by giving Jesus for me. God keeps me and guards me for Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. You remember the language last week in John 17, we saw that language of kept. If you were here with us in John 17, Jesus says, I've kept them, and it also means guarded. I've protected them, guarded them. And he's praying as he goes to the cross, Father, will you now guard and protect them? If you have faith in Jesus, you can trust that he is keeping you. He's guarding you. He has embraced you. He's a mighty warrior who will not let you go. It also says we're beloved by God the Father. Famous verse that reminds us of that is John 3.16. How do you know God loves you? We have good days and bad days, right? Sometimes I forget it and I'm like, I don't know if God loves me. Maybe I got to get my stuff together. Maybe I got to clean up my life more and then maybe he would love me. John 3.16 says, no, he loved you by sending his son Jesus for you. That's how you know that you are beloved by God the Father. He sent Jesus to take your sin to give you his resurrection life. So he delights in you, he loves you, he embraces you. And called the first, the first description here. It's really interesting because you might think of being called on the telephone. Um, you might be thinking of an invitation. And it, it has that kind of meaning, but it's really much stronger than that. Right? Because sometimes you don't answer your phone, Right? If you're under 30, you probably never answer your phone, right? I know, you know, most of my kids and their friends, they don't talk on the phone at all, right? They only text. Um, if you're thinking of an invitation that you can refuse, that's the wrong category. If you're thinking of a call that you can ignore, that's the wrong category. Theologians describe this as the effectual call. Have you ever heard that term before? The effectual call, that means that this is a call that works every time. When God calls you, the call always goes through. It's an invitation you cannot refuse. Think about being invited to the best party you could imagine by a person you admire more than anybody else in the world. That's what God is doing. He's embracing you in love. The God of the universe is saying, I love you. I've taken care of your sins. You're in my family now. I'm adopting you. I'm moving you in with me. That's what this is describing for us. The embraced identity that we have in Christ. One of my favorite descriptions of this is in Isaiah 40. It's a prophecy of what Jesus is going to do. Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11 says it this way. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. So that's the mighty warrior God, right? They sang this song about God as a warrior after the exodus, after He rescued His people. We see this talked about in Zephaniah three seventeen as well. God is a mighty warrior who saves It's describing in this way, he comes with might, his arm rules for him. And then it moves on to payment and reward language. Isaiah 40.10 says, behold, his reward, God, the mighty warrior, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Recompense just means pay. His his payment, his reward is with him. Well, what's his reward? Isaiah 40 verses 11 says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is a mighty warrior who can and will save you. And he's going to get rewarded for it. And what is his reward? His reward is you. His reward are his sheep. He gathers them to himself. We have an embraced identity because of what Jesus has done for us. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God of the universe embraces you? Are you wandering off in thoughts of condemnation thinking, he, he can't embrace me until I clean up my life. He can't embrace me until I'm more impressive or more spiritual or more together. He says, no, I'm, I'm coming to you. You're so messed up, you can't fix yourself. I've got to fix you. So Jesus took your sin upon Himself. He gives you His resurrection life. He's grabbed hold of you. He's embraced you and brought you close to Himself. It starts with a proper identity. We can never love others properly until we recognize how He has loved us first. He made the first move. He grabbed hold of you. Do you see that? Do you believe it? As we believe that, God's going to use us to share that good news with other people. We'll become the kind of people that start to embrace others, that start to reach out to other people, that start to love others outside of our circle of normal concern. As we move through Jude, we're going to see a strong change in tone from this sweet embrace to a harshness that Jude will have for false teachers. And I just want to emotionally prepare yourself, prepare you for that. It's, it's going to be like this sharp turn, right? He's going to say, God loves you. He's kind to you. He's embraced you. And then he's like, do not tolerate those false teachers. They are bad news. And what I want you to do is, just by way of homework is to skim through the gospel accounts of Jesus and I want you to notice the pattern that Jesus always has time for humble sinners. Jesus always had time and kindness for broken people. And Jesus was always harsh with false teachers that were leading people away from his embrace. And so that tension is hard for us because we live in a culture that doesn't like the harsh words, right? We, you know, the stereotype of religious people being overly harsh, and we are a lot of times, Right? We, we can own up to that stereotype, but, but sometimes Jude, Jesus, they do have harsh words for false teachers because the message is God is embracing us in Jesus. And there are false teachers that are saying, no, embrace yourself. Do your own thing. Forget about what Jesus has done for you. Just do what you want. And they're leading people away into immorality. And Jude, next week and weeks following, is going to warn us against those kinds of people. So we start with this embrace, the embrace that God has for us in Christ. And then as we renew ourselves in that identity, we have something to offer other people. Um, I would ask you to pray that God would give you eyes to see the people around you that need that embrace. Say, God, will you show me those people that are hurting, that need to know the embrace of Jesus, that are going to be surprised at this good news that God the Father embraces us in Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, will you give me the eyes to see? Because you're his messengers. That's, that's how people find out, is, is through us. Those of us that have found the embrace in God, we're the ones that then share that embrace with others. It might be as simple as just asking good questions, helping people out. We talked in the last point about serving people, physical needs, praying with them, seeing how people are doing, a text, a, a phone call. But ask God to give you eyes to to see those people that need to know the embrace of God and Jesus Christ. We've also got a couple of specific outreach opportunities as a church that I want to let you know about. I think some of this has been going around on our, our loop of, of things that we announce on, on Facebook and on the PowerPoint slides. Um, but Hope Pregnancy Center is a ministry we work with a lot in the area. They have locations in Copper's Cove and Colleen and in Temple. And what they do is they come alongside people that are facing an unwanted pregnancy that are 
terrified, that don't know what to do, and they try to help them to keep that child or to give that child up for adoption, but to help them to choose life. And they've got volunteer training coming up in a few weeks, February 18th and 19th. You could go to the Hope Pregnancy Center website, hopepc.com. Find more information. You could email the church if you want more information about that. The one running it is Heather, Heather at hopepc.com. They would love to train you up. They do a good job of training, and they'd love to get you involved in the ministry. Uh, there's also an outreach opportunity. A friend of our church is taking people to Austin just to preach the gospel on the street to people. And if you want to be involved in something like that, something kind of crazy and countercultural, you can contact me for more information about that as well. We have an embraced identity. We've been embraced by God's love, so we're going to share that with with other people. The last thing we need to see is that we have a growing identity. We have a growing identity. What this means is our identity is not stagnant, but it keeps multiplying. It keeps growing. More and more, we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We often use the theological categories of justification, which means we're made just or right before God because of the cross. And then sanctification, we're made more and more of a saint, more and more holy, we're conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. Now, in the Bible, those terms can be used somewhat interchangeably, but generally you've got the beginning your relationship term, and you've got the ongoing setting apart term. And that's what Jude is talking about here. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, he talks about this growing identity. He says, may mercy, peace, and love, another triplet, another triad there, right? May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is his prayer for us. This is his blessing for us. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. May they keep growing. May they keep increasing. May they keep overflowing in your life. Mercy is the language for we're not given justice and judgment, but in the cross instead we're shown mercy. We're forgiven. That begins our relationship with Jesus peace is we're now reconciled with God. We're not at war with God anymore, and that means we're not at war with each other anymore, and that means mentally we're now at peace. Philippians 4 talks about this really beautifully, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we have peace, no more war, no more conflict. And then finally, love. Love is multiplied. As God loves us, we receive that love. We love him. We love others. We love because he first loved us. These things are kind of a logical progression, mercy, peace, and love. It's kind of how it develops in our life as we grow, but it's also something that happens every day. We don't want to think about mercy or God's grace as just the entrance into the Christian life, but every day that you wake up, you're stepping into more grace. John Piper is a famous preacher, and he spoke about this at a conference. He said, a lot of times we think, God's shown me grace. I belong to him. Now I'm going to pay him back. So we work every day trying to pay God back, right? Trying to pay back this debt. He's like, you know what though? Every step you take, every breath you breathe is a result of his grace and mercy. So you will never pay him back. And it is his pleasure to give you more and more mercy and grace. It pleases God to sustain you. This Hebrews talks about Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. You will never pay him back, but with joy you will keep giving him out of the overflow of what he's given to you. And so mercy, peace, and love keeps multiplying in our life. Every day we get more mercy. We receive more peace. We understand more love. It keeps growing. It keeps multiplying. 
So the big question is, are you growing? Am I growing? I grabbed a, a kid being measured. Used to love to do this with our kids, you know, measure how much they grew. There was this funny stage my son went through for a couple of years where he was always like, I haven't grown in two years. We're like, no, son, you've grown. We'd take him over to the thing. We'd mark it off. And we're just like, no, you've grown. Um, and he finally grew up. He's a man now. But it's hard to watch yourself grow. You know that, right? Like, it's hard to see yourself grow. What, what's a growth chart for ourselves? Well, one of the growth charts that we're given in Scripture is actually the kids' song that we sang earlier in the service today. is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right? It kind of sets out some markers for this is what growth looks like. As the Spirit is filling you, as you're living a Spirit-led life, you learn to depend on the Spirit rather than your own flesh and strength, then you're going to overflow, you're going to grow, not just mercy, peace, and love, but Paul describes it as love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says those things will continue to grow in your life. And so that should be the goal. Oftentimes we think of these other, we kind of make up these other goals of the Christian life that may be helpful, you know, doing these other things and growing and serving. All these things are good. Things we talk about, we want you to do that. But, but are you growing in joy? Are you growing in, in gentleness and in kindness and in faithfulness? That's what God calls us to. And if you're not, you don't beat yourself up. You don't give up and quit the race. You go back to Jesus for more mercy. Jesus, help me. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me so that I can walk with you. Now, this is uh, a good time of year to keep talking about growth goals, right? It's still January. I can keep talking about New Year's resolutions for all of January, right? Is that okay? I think that's legal. So it's still January, New Year 2021. Have you set any goals to grow, to multiply in mercy, peace, and love? How would you do that? Historically, Christians talk about this thing we call the means of grace. And that means sitting under the places where God's grace is poured out to us, the, the preaching of the word, the reading and memorizing of scripture for yourself, worshiping Jesus, talking to him in prayer, praying with other friends. Are you growing in these means of grace whereby you receive God's grace? You receive more and more of his mercy and peace and love. And every morning you're like, I need more. I need you, Jesus. What are some ways you could do that in 2021? What are some goals you could set? You could set some goals to memorize scripture. To, to be a more consistent student of the word, to, to pray more, to ask a friend to pray for you and with you. We talk a lot about three by five groups where we say, you know, in the pandemic, it's been hard for our normal small groups and classes to get together. Can you just find a friend you work with or spouse or roommate or cousin or friend and just say, let's, let's pray for each other. Let's just read one scripture, one verse. Say, God, what do you want us to learn from this? We can pray for each other. We can encourage one another. We can share our high and low of the week. Can you take some next steps like that in 2021 to kind of place yourself under the waterfall of God's grace? Jesus, I need more of you. Every day, I need your mercy, your peace, and your love. As you ask him, he will, he will give it to you. Well, as I said, we're heading into this series about contending. We live in a contentious society, and we're going to always be tempted to fight like the world fights to struggle the way the world struggles, and to struggle for the things that the world struggles for. And that's why I thought that example I shared earlier 
the Marlon Brando character of Terry Malloy was so helpful because he was really struggling with his identity. He was kind of giving up. He was kind of giving in to condemnation, realizing that he had blown it, considering himself a bum, struggling to be a contender. What's really interesting is that movie, by no means like an explicitly Christian movie, but, but it has a lot of really beautiful Christian symbolism in it. You see, Terry Malloy actually began to find a life when he gave up fighting for his own identity. As Jesus says repeatedly, those who lose their life for me will find it. That's what Terry learns in the movie. As he stands up to injustice, he's actually used to be a blessing for other people in his town and where he works. We're going to be bombarded constantly with a lot of different strategies, a lot of different messages, things we should fight for, things we should contend for. This year, we should start with identity. Who are you? You are embraced by God the Father. He loves you. He's given himself for you. He's going to continue to grow you in the understanding and belief of that reality. And as he grows you in that, you're going to be unleashed to serve others for his glory. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us and you've given yourself to us in Jesus. Father, our our mind is blown that you, the God of the universe, that should give us judgment, you give us the embrace of your love. So God, will you just keep turning our minds inside out, showing us there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you have loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. We praise you for it. Will you make us new in ways that impact our world? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.